Many summers ago, just before I entered my teenage years, I spent a week with my aunt at her camp in Maine. My cousin David was there, too, visiting from college. For the most part, we passed our days swimming in the cold lake and floating on the dock reading books and eating scrumptious seafood. A couple of times we took out the canoe to explore, but it was mainly a lazy, hazy week. I don't remember exactly how it happened, but at some point during the week, I found out that my cousin David knew how to juggle, and I begged him to teach me how. So whenever we were not outside enjoying our beautiful surroundings, you would find me standing in front of a wall with one koosh ball in my hand, and I would toss it back and forth and back and forth. And once I mastered that, then there were two. And then finally, bravely, I tried three. By standing in front of the wall, it helped me to control my wild throws and prevent the balls from flying all over the room and going out of reach. David patiently guided me every step of the way until I had mastered tossing three balls. My aunt also joined in the fun. And in the evening, as all of us practiced our juggling, if anyone were to glance in our cottage window, we probably would have looked to them like some family from a traveling circus, all juggling balls and chasing them around the room. I haven't seen David very much since that week in Maine. I went out to the West Coast for his wedding. He came out to the East Coast for my wedding. Scott and I visited him and his family while they were living in Barcelona. But we have managed to keep in touch through the wonders of the Internet and email. David, as it happens, was visiting my parents this past week. And my dad relayed to me a conversation that they had had. David said, I know that Elizabeth is married. I know that she's a mother. I know even that she's been ordained a priest. But I still think of her as that 12-year-old girl in Maine who I taught how to juggle. I smiled when I heard this, but there was also a large part of me that was groaning. Are you kidding me? It is challenging to know and to be known by someone. I'm sure that each of you have your own similar story of how someone who has known you has intentionally or unintentionally kept you in the box of who they first knew you as and now cannot see the fullness of who you have become. In today's gospel, Jesus returns to his hometown to observe the Sabbath among people whom he knows and trusts. He doesn't heal the multitudes as he has been doing elsewhere, but when faced with suffering, he heals the few who come to him. His ministry among them is severely limited. Even though he is among his own people, their response is to doubt him. 
They closed themselves off from his teachings and dismissed him. This town already knows Jesus. They have known him since he was a little boy. They know all the facts about him. They knew him as merely the son of a carpenter. They perhaps even remember some rumors about his conception before Mary and Joseph were born, uh, were married. They know that he did not have the means nor the societal stature to receive formal rabbinical training. They remember that he took on his father's occupation as a carpenter. The folks in the town know Jesus. At least they know the facts about who he was. But they have missed Jesus altogether. Maybe because they already have those prior relationships with Jesus, that prior knowledge of who he was and where he fit in their social order, or maybe because they were clinging so tightly to his bio, the facts about who he was, whatever the reason, they remain closed off from whom he has become and unwilling to receive what he has to offer. And they turn their backs on the opportunity to enter into renewed relationship with Jesus. Debbie Royals, in a sermon she preaches on this text, describes the hometown villagers as being so busy making their assumptions and judgments that they miss the most essential part, opening themselves to that which could bring them closer to God. The disciples and the crowd that follow Jesus also know this man. They know him as more than his station in society as a carpenter. The disciples know him as the one who recognized something in them and commissioned them to the ministry of discipleship. He is their wise rabbi and teacher who has taught them about what is of ultimate worth through his actions and the telling of parables. They've been present as he has cured and healed many who were sick. Time and again, he has demonstrated his power over nature in calming the wind when they were in the boat. His power over sickness and even death, as we heard last week in the story about the hemorrhaging woman and the young girl who had died. The disciples and crowds know and have experienced some of the immensity of God's love expressed through the person and ministry of Jesus. And yet, even now, they don't know the entirety of who Jesus is. They haven't yet experienced the arrest, the trial, the death of Jesus on the cross. They don't know the depth of God's love for us. They have yet to experience Jesus' ultimate sacrifice to conquer evil and death. They have not yet encountered the miracle of the risen Christ and his enduring gift of the Holy Spirit. 
There is so much yet for them to know and experience about God. But in order for that to happen, they must remain open and engaged in their relationship with Jesus. They can't just close themselves off at this point in the journey and say, oh, yes, we know who Jesus is. He's a miraculous healer and a rabbi. He can control the wind and the waves. He's a dynamic teacher who speaks with authority and challenges the synagogue officials. If the disciples and the crowd were to close themselves off now, they would miss out on the depth and immensity of who Jesus is. They would miss seeing how time and again he remains faithful to God. They would miss out on experiencing how Jesus ignores societal boundaries and norms and instead responds with compassion and love to stranger and friend. They would be limited in describing Jesus with words like teacher and healer, miracle worker. They would miss experiencing Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. Today, we are reminded of how easily we, too, can fall into the patterns of the people in Jesus's hometown. It is so easy to say, we know God. We know who God has been in our lives. We can describe how we have experienced God. We each have our own descriptor words that we use when talking about God. Words that describe what we have experienced of God's love for us. Perhaps your faith in God has helped you work through a time of meaningful reconciliation. And so your primary descriptor may be, God is a reconciling God. Or perhaps you are a cradle Christian, and your earliest remembrances about God are learning the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. It is all too easy and probably very human for us to say, yes, we know God, and remain there in that singular image of God. Check it off, that's done. But if we remain in those small initial glimpses into God and then place God in that tiny box and say, oh, we know who God is. God is strong when I am weak. Or God is the one who reconciles what is broken in the world. Then we might hear the villagers of Jesus' hometown whispering in our ears saying, who is Jesus? He is just a carpenter. If we just stay there in that one experience of God, then our relationship with God can become stale and stagnant. And we have shut ourselves off from knowing the fullness of who God is. We haven't allowed ourselves the room to open up and truly know God. We haven't let ourselves be truly vulnerable in that knowing. There are many, many ways 
that God is speaking to us even now. God continues to be present and act in people's lives, but we must be ready to listen and respond. God draws us into community for a reason, so that we share this journey with one another and share our truths with one another. As we share our stories and our understanding of who God is, we all grow in knowledge of God and come to experience God in new ways. When I first came here to All Saints, Jeffrey talked in his sermons, in adult education sessions, and in his presentations at Gift about the freedom that comes from experiencing God's love. That the experience of God's love frees us from anxiety, frees us to respond to this broken world we live in with acts and attitudes of generosity and love. For me, that was a new way of describing God's love for us and our response to it. It was something new to look toward in my prayer life and in my life of faith, to open myself to experiencing God's love in that way. It has opened for me another piece that has allowed me to know more of who God is, and it's given me new words to describe how God's love affects me, my heart, and my actions. We each have our own ways of speaking to the truth of God's love for us. We have our own stories to share about who God is and how God is acting in our lives. If we keep these close to our chest and don't talk about them with others, it not only keeps us within that box of our limited experience of God, but it also affects the whole community as we keep others from knowing God as we have known God. It keeps that box tight instead of releasing that knowing of God so that all of our hearts can be affected. This week, we begin the Episcopal Church's General Convention in Anaheim, California. This will be another opportunity for us to experience God at work in the world. Throughout convention, there will be numerous opportunities to hear stories about how God has transformed individuals and communities through acts of justice, love, and compassion. If the folks at convention allow themselves to be open and receive these various expressions of who God is and how God continues to transform lives, perhaps we might experience God in action through those gathered at convention as they work together to carry out the mission and ministry of the church. It is challenging to know God and to allow ourselves to be vulnerable in that knowing. We have a slight advantage over the crowds and the disciples. We do know the entire story of Jesus. 
We know of all his healing and teaching. And we also know of his faithful obedience to God all the way to the horrific death on the cross. We know that death has been conquered and that Jesus was resurrected and ascended into heaven. And we now share in the gift of the Holy Spirit. But there is still more that is yet to be known about who God is. We must open our eyes and our ears and our hearts so that we will hear with our hearts and see with our eyes how God is acting in the world in new ways. If we don't, and instead keep our eyes and hearts tightly shut, then we, like the people in Jesus' hometown, will miss the living God standing right before us, offering us God's love, God's grace and forgiveness, healing and strength, reconciliation and freedom from anxiety. God's love for us is abundant and never-ending. There are infinite ways that God expresses that love to us, but we must work to remain open and listen so that we can continue to receive God's grace and love And in grateful response, share it freely with the world. In silence and in prayer, let us respond to the gospel.